Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So page 742, we're going to read from verse 10 of Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renowned, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. The next reading is found on page 1204. 1204 and is Hebrews chapter 5. So we're going to start reading Hebrews chapter 5 at verse 11 and then go on to the end of chapter 6. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, And of faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case. Things that accompany salvation, 
God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what's said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed uh, desperately want you to do just that, to speak to us tonight. Uh, because uh, your word is a word of life. Uh, your word is this true eternal word that we have just spoken of. A word that is strong enough to carry us from this night uh, to that eternal rest that you have promised us. And so, Father, we do pray that this indeed be a night where your word would break through unbelieving hearts, stubborn hearts, hard hearts, and even hearts that think they are soft to your word but are not. Uh, Father God, we do pray that you would speak to us, uh, that we might trust you. Amen. Well, please take a seat. And uh, as uh, Paul said, we're continuing uh, a series uh, in uh, the letter to the Hebrews. If you're new with us uh, tonight, it's, it is brilliant to have you with us. And uh, we're, we're sort of partway through this series. We're up to chapter 5, uh, verse 11, page 1204, 1204 uh, in the church Bible. It's well worth uh, having that open as, as we look at it uh, together, page 1204. And just as you're finding that, let, let me begin uh, with this quote On the plains of hesitation uh, lie the blackened bones of many who at the dawn of victory sat down to rest and in resting died. On the plains of hesitation lie the blackened bones of many who at the dawn of victory sat down to rest and in resting died. Now his name was Andy. Uh, We shared golden years of being part of a youth group together, first uh, as uh, youth in that group and then as part of the leadership team of a group that thrived. I have uh, many vivid memories of being with Andy and with many others uh, around a campfire singing uh, late into the night sky, songs of hope at the top of our lungs. Uh, I can picture his face there uh, around that campfire, but he's not singing now. 
to meet Andy now is to meet a man uh, where there is barely a whimper of praise on his lips, uh, barely a pulse of faith in his heart. Uh, His name is Neil. Uh, We went through four years of Bible college together. He had a razor-sharp mind, an insatiable desire to study the scriptures. Uh, But along the way, over those four years, he stopped. Stopped listening. Stopped growing. Uh, He was, at some point along the way, simply just going through the motions. Uh, I couldn't tell, and no one could. Uh, But a few years later, he had walked away completely. Uh, Their names... Uh, Well, she is my sister and he is my brother. And we walked with the Lord together in our youth and now I walk alone. And if you have been a believer for any length of time, and I know many of us have, uh, you will have your own stories to share, stories of retreat along the way. Uh, People that you have journeyed uh, life with, uh, people who have sung songs of hope with you. Are people heading to this rest that we've seen in Hebrews, this promised rest, this place where we are told there will be no more striving, uh, for we've finally arrived with our God. This place where we will be his people and he will be our God, where there will be no more mourning or crying or tears or pain. This place where we will be free from fear, that place, uh, journeying there with them and along the way they stopped and retreated. You will have your own stories and I suspect, although they're hard to tell, they are important to tell. Because our salvation in Jesus Christ that we hear in week in, week out as we study the scriptures together and we've heard wonderfully in this letter to the Hebrews, our salvation in Jesus is incredibly great. Our hope, the promised hope that we have is incredibly precious. And so to be someone who falls short of that hope, falls short along the way, is an unmatched tragedy. Uh, My friends, uh, the ones I mentioned, and there are many more that I'm aware of, uh, did not set out to stop along the way. That wasn't their plan, uh, short of reaching the hope. Uh, Nor do any of us, I imagine, here tonight uh, plan to do that, to stop along the way. Uh, Even those who uh, this very night are struggling to press on as Christians, uh, that's not your plan. What could I have said to them? What could I have said to them to to change the path that they took? And what word uh, could we preach to each other tonight uh, so that each one of us, without exception, each one of us here in this building uh, would keep going to the very end? Uh, Well, wonderfully, Hebrews is that word. A word for this season, a word for this night, this day. A word that, uh, as we've seen as we've gone along, places before our eyes our very great salvation. A word that also comes beside us and says, make every effort to reach that place, to enter that rest. You have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. He is God's son who offers you gracious and timely help along the way. Now, if you were here last week, that's what we were focusing on then. We were seeing how precious that promise is that we have uh, this great high priest in Jesus uh, those wonderful verses in, in 4, uh, 14 to 16 where we saw this one who can sympathise with our struggles along the way. We saw this one in uh, four sixteen that we can go to any time, any time and we will find grace there. Help we'll find. And uh, wonderfully last week we saw that that meant that any time we come to him we can find help with our problem of sin. A help that will lead to forgiveness again and again and again. Uh, But also this week, I want us to focus on the the other help that he provides as we go to his throne, and that is help to press on, 
uh, to keep going, uh, help to grow to maturity as his followers. Uh, This timely help that he offers at his throne of grace is the very word of grace that he speaks there. Uh, The word that we have open before us tonight. A word that is indeed strong enough to keep us going. And so as we look at Hebrews together in these weeks, we are looking at a word of exhortation, a word encouraging us to keep going. And the reason this author is so adamant that we get that exhortation, that we heed that warning, is that the people he is writing to are people that he can see signs of retreat, signs that they are slowing down, signs that they are going backwards. Rather than this patient walk towards that promised rest, they're shrinking back. And so let's listen well. Uh, For here is a word, I think, for long-time Christians, as it is for new Christians, as it is for new churches. So let's begin to hear this warning. It's perhaps loudest and clearest in our passage tonight. And we're uh, looking from verse 11 of chapter 5. And here's the first thing that the author says to these people that are showing signs of slowing down. He says, you're not as grown up as you should be. Uh, When it comes to maturing in Christ, when it comes to the sort of growth that comes from the the word of grace that God speaks, you're not as grown up as you should be. Uh, In the chapters uh, leading up to our passage in 4 and 5, the author has been outlining in in great detail already this testimony that Jesus is our high priest. He's going to return to that in in chapter 7, but here in our passage, it's like he's anticipating the moment that as the readers hear the detail of Jesus being their great high priest, their eyes start to glaze over. And perhaps you know the feeling. Uh, You come to church and the preacher says, my topic tonight is that Jesus is your great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you hear that and you uh, start to scratch around in your pew and you find the notice sheet and it looks incredibly fascinating (laughs) right at that moment. Or perhaps you're in your small group and you're plotting your way through yet another whole book of the Bible and once again, surprise, surprise, the answer is Jesus. Yawn. Well, here he is. He's been commending Jesus to them. He wants them to see who he is. And as they start to go into that auto-listening mode that perhaps you're already in, and if you're thinking as uh, perhaps they were, I hope this service finishes in time to get home for Downton Abbey tonight. (laughs) He jolts us. He says to them, hey, are you listening? This is serious. You're shrinking back. You see at 5 verse 11, I I want to tell you so much about Jesus. He says, uh, how he's your high priest, how good that is. I want you to be confident and satisfied in him. I I want you to see the reality of who he is to you. What he's done for you. To to have that change every part of your life. But as I tell you about it, it's like you can't hear me. You're slow to learn, he says. Or more literally, you're dull of hearing. It's getting softer and softer. The the longer the preacher drones on, the, the quieter the volume. You know that experience? I, I had a, uh, for a while a, a phone in my office. I, I titled it the coffee phone. And the reason it was called the coffee phone is that on one uh, particularly tragic morning, I, I went to reach for it with a cup of coffee in front of it and dropped the phone into the coffee. Uh, the, it stopped ringing, which uh, was handy. <laughs> but then I uh, managed to dry it enough and it seemed to be working. But after a while, what I discovered is that uh, about 10 minutes into a phone conversation with someone, the volume would get softer and softer and they'd fade into the distance. Again, it was kind of handy. (laughs) But that's the sort of thing the author is getting at here. That that moment where he's talking about Jesus over and over again and it's just, it's not getting through. 
Other voices have come along for these people and drowned out the, the, the word about Jesus. Uh, for them, it was a word of legalism, of uh, going back to Judaism. That's where they saw their confidence. That was more and more persuasive to them, louder and louder. And the word of Jesus was just a dull noise. And for us, I suspect there are voices that can dull the sound of his word of grace to us. The voice perhaps of acceptance, the voice of atheism, the voice of compromise, the voice of sensuality, the voice of our culture, of comfort, you name it. All these voices drowning out his voice. And the word of Jesus competes against them and less and less seems to be getting through for these people in the sense that there's less and less maturity. Less and less fruit coming from that word. This word that we heard, did you hear it in Isaiah 55? Always achieves its purposes. It's not getting through. It's as if uh, the author has sort of made a reunion trip to these people. He's known them in the past as followers of the Lord Jesus and he's keen to see them again, to, to visit them, to see the progress they've made. And as he meets them, it's as if time has stood still. It's like a time capsule. Verse 12, he says to them, by this time you ought to be teachers. And yet you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. He says, if you were heeding the word of Jesus, you would have grown up by now. And what was he hoping to find? Well, you see it there in verse 12. You should be teaching others by now. And that's what the word of grace does to us. You should have matured to the extent that you'd be able to lead others to maturity by speaking that word to them. And teaching the gospel, uh, speaking the words of the gospel is, is not a specialised task for some Christians. It's here we see the natural fruit of heeding the word of God. Instead, verse 12, they need someone to take them through toddler training again. He expected to find them perhaps on Sunday morning uh, teaching in the kids' church, but instead they are the kids. Happily playing in the early learning centre, clutching their breadsticks and beakers of milk. And so let me ask you this, as uh, we look at this assessment of these people, has your life uh, perhaps moved on, uh, but not your faith? Are there clear signs perhaps in your life of growth, of development, perhaps you're more mature than you used to be, and you can point to all sorts of things in your life, but when it comes to your faith, it's stood still for years. Now, there's a group of friends that Liz and I have uh, in Sydney that uh, every time we meet them, it is again like this time capsule experience. They, they grew up with us. Uh, we were teenagers together and uh, their life has got more complex. Some of them have children, others of them are married, uh, others of them have important jobs and yet their faith has stopped as if they were still 16. And it's not that their faith was immature then, in fact it's gone backwards so here's a big question for us. Has our life moved on but not our faith? The author says to these people, if you're still back there as an infant, suckling on milk, verse 13, it must be because you never got the gospel. It must be because you didn't understand the word of righteousness, he says, in the first place. The word about Jesus. And not because it was too tricky, because it's a clear and simple gospel. But because your heart was dull to it. Verse 13, he says, uh, you're not acquainted with the word of righteousness. Literally, what he's saying is that you're unskilled in using it. In all the years of hearing the word of God, uh, they've never worked out their faith. They've never applied that word to their real life. 
Ask these people how the word of grace applies to their working life or their family life or their use of money or their approach to politics or their attitude to sex or their engagement with the culture around them and they're clueless. Their life and the word of grace have never met. (laughs) They're unacquainted. And so verse 14, he says, "This, this is what I'd hope to have found. Mature, growing people who are eating steaks, not breadsticks. And he's not saying here solid food is, you know, Christians should get to the point where they're all academics, all bookish type people. No, the picture is of those who have drunk deeply enough of God's word of grace to, to have it do more than just keep them alive, to cause them to thrive, to flourish in all of life, just as God promises. They should, verse 14, have been constantly making use of this word seeing how substantial the gospel is, how much it changes every detail of their lives. And so these verses, I think, are a strong challenge to lazy Christians. Uh, Anyone who would say, I don't know my Bible very well, or I just have a simple faith. Uh, If you mean by that you can't quote chapter and verse of the Bible, you can't tell me who the eighth king of Israel is, then so what? But if you mean that I have only a superficial relationship with Jesus, I know him uh, no more now than I did five, ten years ago. I've no interest in learning the depths and the breadth of my salvation in Jesus, my high priest. Well then, that's lazy. Uh, you are not as grown up as you should be, says the author. You see, the sign of Christian maturity in verse 14 is the constant use of this word of grace that leads to godliness. Now there's no shortcut It's not intuitive. It is, as verse 14 says, something you train yourself in by constant use of the solid food of the whole counsel of the word of God. And so let me ask you tonight, are you still training? Or having noticed that they're nowhere near as grown up as they should be, you see what he says in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6. It's simple. He says it's time to grow up. That's his response to their dormant state. Grow up. You see that in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. He says, let's build on the foundation of the gospel that you first received. You're not meant to camp on it. You're meant to build on it. There should be a house on top of it. And do you see the foundation he's speaking of? It's spectacular. It's our gospel. He speaks first of of the moment of conversion, you know, that moment of repentance, that decisive moment where we turn away from a, a dead life, a life that's disconnected from the author of life. A life where I say I live a self-determined life, which is a suicidal life, and instead turn to Christ. And do you remember that moment, that decisive moment where you turn to him? And then that moment he speaks of here in baptism, that public declaration of that moment where I publicly threw my lot in with Jesus, where I said before a congregation like this one, Christ is my king, I have no other. And the laying on of hands, that moment where we realise that being a Christian is about being sent out as we're sending out these people tonight. Sent out with that gospel. And finally and wonderfully the foundation which helps us see what's at stake in all of this. That Jesus rose from the dead, that he is now king and judge of all the world. That I am and everyone here and everyone we live amongst will stand before him. That's an incredible foundation. And he says a foundation that substantial should have a house on it. Where's the house? It's time to grow up, he says. If you've been heeding this word, there'd be a house, there'd be building projects all over your life. 
And so workers, let me ask, is the substance of your work as one who works under Christ as Lord, is it, is it, has it grown over time? Or has the building project stopped? Now, retirees, uh, older folks, I'll let you define yourself as that. Are you still building? Or perhaps are you enjoying the, 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 the income, the pension that comes from earlier labours in the word? Well, if so, let me point you to chapter 6, verse 11, and ask you to consider whether there is such a thing as retirement. And to the students, are you growing? Uh, Look back, if you're in second or third year, look back a year ago. Are are you growing in Christ? Is his word producing fruit? And for the first years, uh, this is the week to start building. Uh, Don't wait till you're settled, till everything's in line. Stop mucking around with checking out different churches. Start building. Well, let's heed the challenge of these verses together. We are not as mature as we should be. No more excuses. He says it's time to grow up. As we continue on into verse 4, let let me ask you this. Uh, This is a question that was on my heart as I was looking at this passage this week. Why would we be ever happy being baby Christians and not growing up? Because to some extent we all are, aren't we, in different aspects of our life. Perhaps you're aware of parts of your life that are incredibly immature when it comes to Christian maturity. Well, here's my guess as to why we're happy staying there. Because growth always comes with growth pains, doesn't it? Whenever we grow, it comes with pain. And we get into the habit of avoiding it because we love comfort. And so for those going on the church plant, it's an incredible blessing that God has given you to go on this endeavour together. But there will be growth pains. Are you ready for that? And for the rest of us, there is the growing pains of, uh, as the word of God calls us, to put to death things that we cherish and we don't want to let go of. We're happy staying on milk because we love comfort. Uh, But here... In verses 4 to 8 of chapter 6, here we see the danger of being happy being a baby. Uh, Here you see what God says to the one who loves comfort and has begun to retreat from the change that the gospel might call for. Grow up, he says, verses 4 to 8. Otherwise, you will shrink back until there is no way back from the fruitless life you are living. This is incredibly strong, this warning. There is not a stronger warning, I think, in the Bible than these verses. Verse 4, it is impossible, says God. Strong word, isn't it? It is impossible to grow up, to keep going until the end. It's impossible to do that if you, you see it there, don't you? If you've turned away, if you've made that decisive turn away from your dead life without Christ... If you've been enlightened, if you've had that moment when the the Spirit of God speaks the Word of God to you and he pulls back the curtains in your life and you see the life that you thought was purposeful and glorious and good, without him was nothing. If you've known that moment, if you've tasted the gift of heaven, which is Jesus himself, if you've tasted how sweet it is to be in fellowship with him, if you've had that, if you've had his good voice speaking into your life, if you've had that, And if you've experienced the the transforming work of the Spirit in your life and in the life of those around you, if you've you've known that in that you're witnessing the very new age breaking in, to have all of that, says the author, all of that, and over time grow dull to the light of Jesus, dull to his voice, 
until you slowly retreat from him and all he is to you? Well, the picture of such a person, you see it there in 6 verse 6. It is to be someone who no longer stands with Christ at his cross, that is his throne of grace. Uh, You've walked back down the hill. Uh, You now stand with the crowd joining in the shout of crucify him. Crucify him. You might not say it out loud, but you have reached the point in your life where you say, I want him out of my life. As I was preparing this week, I I spoke at the start of Neil, my friend, uh, who I went through Bible college with. And to my shame, uh, I thought during the week, I've not even followed him up in the last year or so. So I googled his name, uh, Neil. Uh, He's a writer now. He uh, gave up as an ordained Anglican minister in 2005. And uh, this was a little excerpt from a little bio about him. He's he's up for a, a, a writing prize. It says, Neil is a writer who lives in Sydney with his wife and family. Uh, He was ordained as an Anglican minister in 2005 and in 2006 he embraced atheism, influenced by philosophers and writers such as Nietzsche, Camus and Sartre. I want him out of my life. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, uh, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. God says it's time to grow up. You are either growing to maturity or you are slowing and stopping and retreating from which eventually it is impossible to return. Now, this is a real warning written to real Christians. And we must feel the weight of it. It's not denying uh, the wonderful doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Jesus has promised none of the sheep that my father has given me will be snatched from my hand. Not one. But this is how he, the great shepherd, keeps us. He speaks of a real danger. He gives us a real warning. And the Bible contains real examples of those who did not heed that. Uh, we, We have Demas, for instance, who was walking with the Lord and yet he left because he loved the world. We have Simon in Acts 8 who was baptized, who participated in this laying on of hands that we've seen in our passage. But by the end of Acts 8, this is what is said of him. Simon, your heart is not right before God. You are full of bitterness and you are a captive to sin. And then perhaps most obviously there is Judas uh, who walked with the Lord, who ate with him, journeyed with him and sold the one who is worth more than all the universe put together for a few coins. There was regret, but there was not repentance. And no doubt we have our own examples of those who have retreated to the very end. And as we move uh, towards a close, that for me is the key in this. Uh, The writer is not saying, if you ever shrink back in unbelief, then you can't repent. Uh, Because we know that time and time again we do that. We talked about that last week. We shrink back again and again, but we know we have this throne of grace. We come to it again and we find fresh forgiveness and a new start. But this is a warning to us. um, Lest we get in the habit of no longer coming to him for that. This is a warning for those who would mock the grace of God, who would deliberately keep on sinning, who would refuse to grow up, 
To such a person, God will say in Hebrews 10, you are trampling on the Son of God. You are treating his precious blood as if it was nothing to you. But what are the implications of this warning for those we know and love who have stopped growing, who are in clear retreat? And you'll have them on your heart right now. Well, first let me say, be encouraged by the examples of, of many who did retreat, even for substantial lengths of time, but came back. Uh, like uh, the Apostle Peter, who uh, completely retreated from his saviour. I never knew him. And yet was completely restored. Three times in John 21, he's asked by his Lord, do you still love me? Incredibly moving. And be encouraged by your own stories that you will know of those who have returned, prodigals who have come back. But, and this is a word to myself as to any who are waiting on prodigals to return. We must not simply pretend. Uh, they seem to know him once, they'll come back. And I think about my brother Charles and I think one of, the, one of the mistakes I make from time to time is that his life as a Christian is sort of on hold. It's sort of paused in his teenage years and it's just waiting to start again. That's not what's happening at all. He is constantly shrinking back. You can't stand still. Now, things keep happening to him that I think, ah, oh, this will bring him back, or that'll bring him back, or this thing or that, but no. Our prayer for those who are in retreat, indeed for ourselves too, is this today, today. Now, while it is still called today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. It is a daily warning to us. For while change is slow, it is inexorable either way. It's a warning that spans a lifetime of today's. Each day is an opportunity to step in retreat or towards maturity. What will it be today? And as to how you can tell which way you are stepping, have a look briefly at the signs in verses 7 and 8, the signs of either growth or retreat. Verse 7 speaks of growth. It's another metaphor. We've had the baby metaphor. We've had the house metaphor. Now we have land. Now here's how you know that you are walking towards maturity. If you are drinking the word of grace, letting it soak deep, such that it produces fruit that benefits not just you but those around you, then that land is blessed. Now here's how you assess your life. Does the word I hear, is that word producing fruit over time? But verse 8, the same land uh, that may well be drinking in much of the word of grace. How, how often a week do you hear the word of grace? Must be a lot. If that is producing nothing but thorns and thistles, then that is a dangerous place to be. Such a land is fruitless. When God speaks and it doesn't produce fruit in us, it's a sign that our hearts are growing hard. That the rain of his word is simply just washing over the top of us like cement rather than soaking deep. So heed this warning. Test your heart. Test it tonight. Test it over time. As we finish, the author has spoken, I think, a sober and serious warning to us. Uh, You are not as grown up as you should be, he says to them. It's time to grow up. Otherwise, you will shrink back into a fruitless life. Uh, But wonderfully, he ends our passage uh, with a word of encouragement. To them and to us. Do you see it there in verse 9? He says, I want you to feel the seriousness of this warning, yes, but, dear friends, I want you to know I'm incredibly confident of better things for you, the sort of things that accompany salvation, fruit, growth. 
And he ends with two reasons why he's so confident. Firstly, God has seen the fruit in your life. He's seen it. That's a huge encouragement, isn't it? Each bud of growth in our life, each berry, each branch of growth, he sees it, he acknowledges it, he loves it. He's delighted as your love for him grows stronger than your love for security or comfort or status or whatever it might be. He loves it. He's well pleased as your love for him grows even in a time of trial. He is stoked when he speaks his word to you and calls for change and you trust him. Be assured, God says, I saw that. And here's what I'm calling you to do. He says, push on, keep going. Whatever age or stage you are at this night, whether you're just beginning as a Christian or you're an old campaigner or about to start life as a new church plant or you're new to this city, keep growing. Don't slow down. Keep about this patient growth in my word of grace, he says, until the very end, the very end, until I call it's time for rest. And that's the second reason why he's so confident, perhaps the most important. God has promised you that rest. And he doesn't lie. He's guaranteed it. He has anchored that hope for you. At the end of the journey, he's calling you to walk. He has already put the anchor there. Jesus, your great high priest, has walked this road before you. He's gone right through the heavens to that place of rest. He's already there and he's laid down there this massive anchor. His immovable, wonderful, sufficient cross. Your hope, he is safe with God. And so having fled from death to take hold of Jesus, today and each one that follows is not a day for retreat. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, Keep going. Uh, He waits for you there. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that you speak a clear and present word, a word to carry us to that rest. Uh, We pray that we be those today who would have soft hearts again, uh, that we may grow to maturity in you. We pray this for our good and your glory. Amen.